If you could turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 27 through chapter 9, verse 1. And uh, you'll see there is that there's a break in the way they did the chapters, but there's really no reason to break. It really should be continuing on to verse 1. Uh, but So we're going to read all the way through as if there wasn't a break in what's going on in the scene here. So what I'll do this morning is I'm going to read it for us, read all the way through, then we'll pray, and, and I'll share the three points with you and, and what we want to uh, try to hear from the Lord this morning. It says this in verse 27, Jesus went out along with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea and Philippi, and on the way He questioned His disciples, saying to them, Who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Jesus was saying to them, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let's pray together. Lord, may you truly give us all the grace this morning to hear the questions that you were asking of your disciples of that time. Who do the people say I am? Who do you say that I am? And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would reveal your truth to us, that we would truly know who you are. Lord, that you would... Lay it all before us. And Father, I realize today that this is a grace. This is a faith we walk in. This is your Spirit drawing us to you, Lord. Because without you, Lord, without you opening our eyes, and I pray that our eyes would be open. Without it, we cannot see. And Lord, let our ears not become so dull that we cannot hear today. And that our hearts would be so hard that we would not understand. I pray that we would understand. Lord, and we ask these things so that we may turn back to you. That we may remember that you are with us always. 
You will never leave us. You will never forsake us, Lord. So I pray and ask you that you would reveal your truth to us. And we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. If I could sum up the sermon to you, and of course I always have the three points. Who am I opposing God's will? Because none of us would say this morning that we oppose God's will, but I will say that we oppose God's will more than we think. And I would say that we are not ashamed of our Lord, and he's talking about a generation But I want to kind of just give you a really synopsis of where we're going. And so if you just have, if you check out really quick, uh, I want to just tell you that this sermon is about Christ and who He is. Then the question that we ask, and we can even ask ourselves within any church, is who is the Jesus that you are preaching about? No longer can we say, do you know this Jesus? Because there are a thousand ways People explain Jesus to us, and some of them are far from the truth. And so the question is for us today, who do the people say that I am? And then the question would beg, and we can ask ourselves, if Christ was here this morning, and His Spirit is here this morning with us, is who do you say that I am? And it's only by God's grace that we are we come to know Jesus. It is only by His grace that we can actually believe that He is with us and will always be with us and that He has saved us. And then the second part that I want us to get today is sometimes we get this all wrong. And what happens when we do get this all wrong? Is that the end of the road? Is it all done for us? And this is why we do church, because we bring ourselves, we beg ourselves, so to speak, and we preach ourselves back to where? The cross. Because that's where forgiveness is. And so when we find ourselves opposing the will of God, and I'll tell you this, you can oppose the will of God all you want, and it is not going to not make the will of God come to pass. And the third is being ashamed. Are we willing to stand in a perverted generation and be so convinced of the gospel, be so convinced of the Bible that we are unmovable, unshakable in the midst of a world that calls us haters and bigots and homophobes? And all these things, are we willing to stand on the truth and willing to count the cost and to deny ourselves and and give it all up for this truth, for this Jesus? Because it always comes back to this one question. And when you're willing to give in and you're willing to give up, I ask the question, is Jesus worthy? That's where it all comes down to. Is He worthy of your allegiance? Is He worthy of it all? And so here we find ourselves in Scripture. And I think Jesus is priming the pump. Who do the people say I am? And it's an interesting question because one has to wonder, is Jesus trying to get them to come to a place of understanding 
of who he truly is. And that will come in just a second. But let's just say, as I already said, is let's just say Jesus is here with us in the flesh. And I think sometimes we detach ourselves from him. And I have to admit to you this week, uh, I, I had to deal with the same thing, and I'll talk about it in just a moment, about opposing the God, God's will and, and all these things. And I, have, I get so caught up in this world that I forget Jesus is walking beside me and that He's right here with me. And sometimes we don't take the time to just acknowledge Him. Instead, we're just going on with life. And all of a sudden, we get these questions. This is for me and you today. This, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that He is? So let's kind of go through a few scenarios that we follow in, in our day and in, in our time. If some people would be honest and say, he is just a good moral man who taught people how to live a nice life. Equal to Gandhi or some other moral teacher. Have you ever heard people refer to Christ as that? I have. Others would say he is a revolutionary or a rebel, a religious zealot. That's who he was. He was fighting against the system. But he was so much more than just a rebel and fighting against system. What system was he fighting against anyway? Man-made religion. Man-made rules. Man-made laws. And then some might admit that he was a prophet. Someone to be admired or revered, but that is it, no more. Have you ever met a Buddhist? Have you ever met someone uh, from a different religion and you talk about Christ and they will admit that Christ is a holy man? And that he is a prophet. They will even acknowledge that he is a prophet. But that is where it stops. That is it. And isn't it so fitting when Jesus questioned, who do the people say that I am? What did they refer? They said, some say that you're John the Baptist, which who was a prophet. Others say Elijah. And in Matthew, we see some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. This is who they thought Jesus was. They had no clue that Jesus was the Messiah. And this is extremely important for us today. Some would say, this isn't for me. He's not for me. And then it's interesting when you begin to talk to them, they get to, you, you hear them say, uh, they, they, they kind of get away from Christ a little bit, and they, then they start to malign the church. Have you ever heard that? Well, let's stop talking about Jesus. Let's talk about the church. And, and it, then they begin to malign the church, and they, they say, Jesus, I can stand, but the church... No, thank you. A bunch of bigots, homophobes, or hypocrites, haters. Have you ever heard all those things about Christians? 
And, and I just want to give you a, a stern warning because the Lord has given me a stern warning in my life is the bride of Christ is the church. So when you begin to speak about the church, you are speaking about the apple of whose eye? God's eye. And we have to be extremely careful about how we talk about the church. But I find it interesting that that's what people, sometimes when you start to talk about Jesus, they go straight to Christians. As I was talking this morning, and, and I have more to say, as I was talking to Warren this morning, the church has been taught, and, and we've kind of struggled with, and I think we're coming to a better place. But the church has been taught is to accept the sin and love the sinner. As if that will win people to Christ. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true because what happens is Christ is offensive to the world. So try as you may. If you're going to stand upon the truth, you will be potentially hated and persecuted, but I want you to know that it's okay because Revelation 12 talks about this onslaught, this war that is going on with the offspring, which is us, the church. So we can go time and time, like, who, do you, who, uh, who do you think, what do the people say that I am? But, God, but Christ gets down to the nitty gritty here. And he asks and he turns to his followers and says, who do you say I am? And I think we need to ask ourselves this question this morning, who do we say that Christ is? is and I can almost imagine if we were there with the disciples it was silence I don't even know if, if we're brave enough to, to, to honest enough we could say that none of them knew what to say like how do you answer this question and then we have Peter Peter comes along and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And we see in Matthew 16, it goes on a little bit far, further and it explains it a little bit more as it says, you are the son of the living God. So let me give you a hint this morning of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one that came to save the world from our sins. He is the Son of the living God. Let me just kind of open you up to something that is very big and I think we take for granted as Christians. As you see, some of you know this morning you are not swayed from the truth. You know that Christ is who Christ says He is. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and you will not be swayed. And I praise the Lord for you, because we all should be there. 
But you see, sometimes we become so familiar with this truth that we are no longer in this awe and a sense of awe and wonder about how huge this is. Because Jesus says this to Simon Bar-Jonah. In Matthew 16, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but your Father who is in heaven. Think about that just for a moment. Like this isn't some truth that some preacher told him that he heard and he believed this was something that was revealed from the Father, God, creator of all things, revealed this to him that some people, they had no clue who Jesus was. And I want to share this word with you, revealed. It's an extremely important word. And it's not here in in Mark, but I want to uh, pull it out of Matthew. This word revealed is only used twice by Christ in the Gospels. And this word revealed is, means apocalypse. Now, just think about it. When you hear the word apocalypse, what do you think this morning? The end times. Catastrophic events happening. There's movies that are called apocalypse. The meteor is going to come and destroy the earth. The end is near. But that in itself is not the true meaning of the word apocalypse revealed. And if we were honest with ourselves, uh, and you go to Revelation chapter 1, is the word revelation of Christ, is the apocalypse of Christ. So what does apocalypse mean? The Greek word, what does it mean? It means that something that was secret is now openly revealed. And so you think about it, the the word is a little bit heavier than what we could imagine or think. And it is true, isn't it? Because if we think about the book of Revelation, what is it? It is unfolding the secret that is to come. That Christ is going to come and He is going to reign forever and ever. It's a revelation of our Christ. And we get so caught up in so many other things that we forget, oh yeah, He is coming back. And I have to say this through my Bible reading. I'm in the book of Revelation. I'm just kind of amazed as I'm going through it. And I was looking through chapter 6, 7, and 8 and the angels that that are being released. All these things are being released by the Father Himself. And I shared this with Brother Greg on the phone. I said, we need to realize that God is in control. 
So why are we getting so worried and caught up in all the things that are happening in our world today? If anything, we should believing, be believing what Christ said, that He will provide for His children. When gas prices go up to $10, God forbid, right? I'm Peter today. God forbid that that happened. God is in control. And I'm going to talk about it just in a moment. We're more worried about this. That's a colorful pocket. We're more worried about this than this. I want to talk about this word revelation just for a minute. Apocalypse. And I want to show it to you also. And this is why we're doing the book of Mark. And so if you got anything out of why we're doing it, this is the very purpose. If you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 27. And this is where, again, it's using the Greek word uh, apocalypse, uh, apocalypto, but apocalypse is the English uh, translation. And it says this in, in Matthew eleven twenty five through 27. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, from the flesh, right? And have revealed them to infants. Apocalypse revealed them to infants. You see, this morning, you don't know this, and maybe you don't realize this, but because this has been revealed to you, the secrets of the kingdom, the mystery, as Paul talks about, has been given to who? The church. And now we're to go proclaim the apocalypse to the world. We're to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And it says, yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. This pleased God. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no, and nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. You know what our prayer should be? Oh, Jesus, reveal the Father to me. If I know nothing else in this life, reveal the Father to me because you're the only one who can. Let me ask you this morning, what is eternal life? Don't answer it. Some of you don't even know what eternal life is. But I'm going to make it very simple for you this morning. According to the Bible, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17 verse 3. Jesus wants to reveal Himself to each one of us this morning. And I don't care if you are new in the faith, you're old in the faith, you need a revelation of who Christ truly is. Who do you say that I am? Jesus. 
But I would say this, the real question it remains, or one of the questions, not the real question, but the question remains is, are we willing to come to Jesus on His own terms and not ours? Are we willing to come to Christ on His terms and not ours? And I have to admit to you this morning that I've been a Christian for 20-some years. But it wasn't like till 10 years ago that I actually realized what it meant to be born again. Which is insane if you think about it. But that's when I begin to realize that all my works, everything that I could do, there's nothing that I could do enough to earn His salvation. It is Christ alone. Faith in Christ. It doesn't mean we don't live a disciplined life. Don't get me wrong. That's eternal life is to know Him. That's the revelation that I believe God wants to speak to each one of us this morning. So let's go back to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. And, and I, I have to, I'll read 30 again. And, but Jesus warned them to tell no one. We're still on point one. I'll get to point two in just a second. We have to ask ourselves, like, why did Jesus warn them to tell no one? To me, there are two plausible answers here, and they go together. One is it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet. That's number one. And I don't know about you, but I like crowds. I don't know what Jesus' problem was. It's a joke, guys. Ha, ha, ha. It's interesting, he really wasn't concerned about the crowds, was he? He wasn't concerned about the masses. The masses would follow him because he was the way, the truth, and the life. But I also say this, that Jesus wanted to teach them more about himself. And I will prove that to you in just a moment. Because what did Peter mean by you are the Christ? And the very next thing that happens will tell us what Peter partially meant by you are the Christ. Because what happens, this is interesting, is in point number two, opposing God's will. It says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, the Messiah, and he changes to the Son of Man, is, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Can you imagine what they thought about who the Messiah was going to be? And then all of a sudden, Jesus was speaking in verse 32. He was stating the matters plainly to them. He was not holding back anything from them. And this had to throw them into a little bit of a, a conundrum, like what is he talking about? Because the Messiah has come to take over this realm, this age, this world. And so that's part of Peter's thinking. And so what did Peter do? He took the Messiah, think about it just for a moment, he took the Messiah to the side, and what did he do? He began to rebuke him. 
And basically the word for rebuke would be saying this, God forbid it. This is not going to happen to you, the Christ. This is not how it's supposed to be. You are wrong. You know, we laugh of that, laugh at that. Is how could Peter be so bullheaded, but yet be so much in the revelation? Have you ever argued with God? And we all have. And it is O, it's A-O-K. God is big enough to handle your arguments. But are you big enough to handle his rebuke? Let me say that again. God is big enough to handle your arguments, but are you big enough to handle his rebukes? You see, Peter's thinking... Your kingdom is to take place on this earth here and now. So what do we do when everything we thought becomes to nothing? Everything that we have built our hopes, our built our lives, built our dreams on is taken away in the twinkling of an eye. It's just gone. How are we going to respond? You see, because I believe as in they believed and, and, and this could split and even this morning I might offend some people this morning, but I want to be a little bit offensive to you and the way to make you think is really, is the kingdom to take place on this earth? Now, before I get your feathers in too much of a ruffle, I do want to say this about that is that the kingdom permeates all areas of society. And it is meant to. So do not get me wrong, as I don't think, don't you, some of you will say, well, is he saying don't jump into politics, don't jump into the culture and, and the wars that we're facing in the culture. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is let the kingdom from within permeate all of society. And that's what we should be praying for. Because what did Jesus say about his kingdom? Think about it for a moment. What did Jesus say? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? What did he say about his kingdom? Let's go to the Word. John chapter 18, verse 33. Please don't get me wrong. We need a dose of the kingdom today, don't we, in our nation? We need revival in our nation, don't we? And if God doesn't move, we're on a dangerous path. 
But it says this, and this is as Jesus is going to the cross and, and, and it's opposing God's will. And I think sometimes that, that we don't realize it is that we are opposing the very will of God and what God is doing within this age and in the earth. But it says this, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative? Is this from flesh and blood? Or did others tell you about me or more? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus emphatically answered Pilate and he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of what? This realm. Now, I have to put an asterisk there, so please... Just indulge me just for a moment. That doesn't mean we don't fight for our nation and what's right. That's not what I'm saying here. But we cannot be mistaken that the kingdom was meant for this earth. It's coming. The rule and reign is our hearts and our souls. My kingdom is not of this realm. Christ said it, I didn't. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So let's think about this just for a moment. I'm going to stop there in John. Peter opposes Christ. And what does Christ do? He looks around at the disciples. And I'm sure they're just kind of wondering what in the world is going on. And he looks right at Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And why does he say this? He says, you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man. So I want us to think just for a moment is what is the will of God for our lives? What is He asking of us? Do you know the will of God for your lives? And I have to ask myself the same question. Do I know His will? Am I walking in His will? Am I doing it by faith or am I doing it for some other reason? Am I here? Do I know why I exist? Do I know? And I want you to know is that Jesus knew why He had come. And that is why Jesus could tell them, listen, I am going to suffer. I am going to be rejected. I am going to die at their hands. But in three days, I will rise again. I know my purpose. My purpose was for this. And 
just so you know, the Old Testament view of Satan was quite different from the New Testament view of Satan. It wasn't until we see in the New Testament that we begin to see Satan as a foe, more of a foe and more of an entity where Christ opposed him and came because Christ is, is uncreated, but Satan is created. Just so you know that. So you that are all scared of Satan, he is a created being. He is not above Jesus. He is not equal to Jesus. But the Old Testament view of Satan, and when they used it, it was an opposition. Anything that was opposing God's kingdom is satanic at its very core. We don't think of it, do we, that way, is that when we oppose the will of God, that we are not walking in according to His ways, but we are actually walking in the ways of the enemy. How many of you like that this morning? But here's the good news. And this is why I love Christianity. This is why I love being a follower of Christ. Is that He calls imperfect people to spread a perfect message. And if you think about it just for a minute, the person that is saying this letter, Mark is writing it down, but who is he writing this letter down for? For Peter. Peter is telling on himself and saying, look, this is what happened. I was in opposition to the will of God, but you know what? God has redeemed me. And as we sang that song this morning as well, with my soul, when my eyes cannot see, as Michelle so beautifully put about her father, is it brought me back to the times that I've walked a road, a lonely road, and had been wondering, what is the will of God? Wondering, can I continue on? Am I going to make it another day? Saying, God, if this cup could pass for me, let it pass. I don't want to do this anymore. But you know what, Christ? I know who you are. I know. I've tasted. I've seen. I have nowhere else to go. This is who you are, Jesus. This is not who you are to me. This is who you are according to what you say. Big difference. And I have a lot to say here, but I'll go through it. It's this, man's is, listen to this, man's interest would have skipped over the real issue and would have been concerned about an earthly king more than a heavenly king. The Christ was to have dominion over all creation, both heavens and the earth. Think of this, if Peter would have had his way, there would be Nothing. We know that you can't oppose God's will, so that's okay. But if we are not careful, we too can take a subtle but extremely dangerous shift and be in opposition to the will of God. So think about it just for a minute as Peter goes from the top of the mountain to the lowest valley in a really quick time. And you know what? For some of you, you can relate. God has revealed some really awesome truths to you. 
You walk with your head up, your shoulders out. You're doing good. Yeah, I know everything. I should be the pastor or, you know, I should be the prophet or I should be the king. And, you know, we're in this revelation. We, we know it all. And then we find ourselves deep in the valley. What happened, Lord? But yet he's with us the whole time. He's teaching us. He's growing us. He is making us more like the image of who? Christ, who we were predestined to be conformed. Every one of us that are here this morning that are in Christ, you were predestined with the purpose to be more like Jesus. Did you know that? If not, read Romans 8. Proverbs 3, 5 says this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So my question for us this morning is are we willing to throw away our understanding to trust Him with all of our hearts. Isn't that counterintuitive where we say, because what do we usually say? I want to understand this. Then I will trust you. But how about let's say this. I will trust you even when I do not understand. Peter had to come to this point, and I believe Peter says it later in his writings, is that I had to come to this point that I'm going to put all my trust, all my faith in this Jesus, and even when it doesn't make sense. So we can say this today, and hopefully we do. Lord, I may not truly understand everything, but I trust that you are in control. And so I want to, we're going to land this plane. And I want to encourage you today. Are you looking at the interest of God? Or are you looking at the interest of man? If you are so caught up in the world's events, in the current events, you probably are looking at man's interests. But if you are keeping your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in the midst of current events, you are probably looking after the interests of God. And I want to encourage you, as we were together as men, a few men yesterday morning for men's breakfast, as we live in a crazy time and we don't know what the rest of the year holds, it can't get any worse, right? <laughs> it can't. But I want to challenge us. I want to encourage us this morning. Because Jesus, after saying this to Peter, he summoned the crowd uh, with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And he says this, and this is where I want to encourage us in this day, in this time for us, is that for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, we live in an adulterous and sinful generation. 
It's the same as when Jesus did. The message is no different for us today. It's with the son, it says, The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him who comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So if you are ashamed of Christ, it will be when the Father, glory of His Father comes with His holy angels, He will be ashamed of you. And listen, that is the true death. You see, each one of us, if Christ doesn't return, we're going to taste death. We will die. I hate to burst your bubble, but you will die. But that's not the true death. The true death is not accepting who Christ is. And so I want to ask us this morning, is are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to lay your life down for the kingdom? Are you willing to say, yeah, God, I have opposed your will, but would you give me the grace not to oppose your will? And this is why Paul encourages us in Romans 12, 1-2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Laying it all down, and it says this, which is your spiritual uh, service of worship. It's your act of worship. is laying your life down. It's not singing a song. It is laying it all down. That is spiritual worship. And that we not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of our mind. Which what renews our mind? By the washing of the word, right? So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know the will of God. You know your Bible. Are you willing I have to ask myself this, and some of you are going to laugh. Like, I coach nine-year-olds, and we got to win. It keeps me at night, up at night, like, how can we win? And I, I've shared this before. It's going to happen in basketball season, too. Right now we're in baseball, but it will happen in basketball. But it's almost like there's just something going on in my heart. Like, I want this so bad. And it's like, it's stupid, I know, but what are you wanting so bad? And even last night I had to do the foolish thing, and I lay baseball down. You know, it's foolish, isn't it? But what do you need to lay down? What are you holding on to? You see, are you willing to give up your need for control and understanding in order to trust that Jesus will lead you? Are you ready to let Him be Lord of everything? This is not just for the few. This is for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to stop opposing God's will for your life and acknowledge Him and ask that He will help you trust Him with your whole heart? These are hard things. 
And these are things that we will daily wake up and have to make decisions about, aren't they? Daily. And then last but not least, let us not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And let us live for the interest of our Lord and not this world. As the worship team comes this morning, I want to end you with this challenge. It's too often we are looking to others to fix our problems. We should seek counsel. Counsel is good. Okay? It's good. I I have a counselor that counsels me. It is good. But I will tell you this much. The counselor cannot fix my problems. And I will tell you this this morning is that you may have an addiction. You may need accountability, but that accountability cannot fix your problem. You may have a problem with anxiety, and you may be wondering, how do I get past this? But I want you to know that even medicine cannot fix your anxiety. It may help. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a doctor here. But I'm finding it more and more that people come to me. They want their problems fixed. They want their problems solved. I have no answers for them. But you know where I do have an answer? I go straight to Isaiah 61. Who sets the captive free? Jesus and Jesus alone. Let, let me turn there real quick. And I promise we're, we're done. This is just, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the, the Lord has anointed me. Jesus, the Messiah, the King. Now we walk in that anointing. Don't get me wrong. But this is a messianic prophecy to bring the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus can bind up our brokenheartedness. He proclaims liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So what? You and I would be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord so that what? He may be glorified. So guys, why do we do church? Many answers. We should ask this question, what is church? But I want to tell you one of our main goals here at Cornerstone is to have church, is to remind us that we need to run to Jesus every single day. In Jesus' healing for our sicknesses and our diseases. So if you need a spiritual healing, run to Jesus. If you need a physical healing, run to Jesus. He has it all. If you stand with me this morning, get your exercise, you're like, yeah, Pastor, you made me sit in this pew long enough. Just stand with us. We're going to pray together and we're going to just ask the Lord to be the Lord. 
Ask the Lord to be the Messiah and to be the Lord of our lives in every area. May His kingdom permeate not only our personal lives, our finances, our marriages, but also our government. We're going to ask for the kingdom of God and His will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But it starts with Lordship. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are faced with this question this morning. Who do people say that I am? Lord, we've heard a lot of answers to that question. And then, Lord, it gets even more personal. Who do you say that I am? And I pray for us this morning, the bride of Christ, those who are, who are under your blood, that are walking in your Lordship, that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would reveal the Father to us. And Father, I want to ask you for forgiveness. Not only for my own life, but for all of our lives. Lord, the areas that we have opposed your will, for us. Would you forgive us? Lord, your word promises us that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our unrighteousness, to cleanse us. And so that, that's what we do, Lord. We ask for forgiveness for opposing your will in our lives, in our nation, and in our churches. Father, we just ask today that your lordship would permeate our lives, our marriages, our family, our finances, and we also pray that your kingdom would permeate our nation. And we would stop opposing your will. And I thank you, Lord, on this very confession, we know it to be true, that you said you were going to build this church. And that confession of Peter was that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against this truth. So Lord, as your followers, we want to live in this truth. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for the apocalypse of your Son, Jesus Christ, that has been revealed into our lives. We bless you in Jesus' name.